Hallelujah for that. Our sins are all covered by the blood, and we have come today to worship our great God. Welcome to worship, and good morning. So the uh, electricity went off for a little bit this morning, and it was just a slight inconvenience for us. So I'd like for you to just ask yourself if uh, the electrical power went off and it never did come back on, how would you react and how would you respond? What power am I really plugged into? You know, we live in a in an abundantly blessed time, naturally, nationally, spiritually. And for myself, it is really, I think, a challenge <laughs> to let the thankfulness and the praise to God run as deep within my soul and heart as it ought to. Times are changing. I think probably one of these times electric will go off and it won't come back on. Times are changing and there are many folks who think that the right man or the right party will be the solution to the problem issues of life. I'd like for you to open your Bibles to Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah chapter 17. Going to start out at the fifth verse. The Bible tells us here there's no solution in the hands of man. Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. For he shall be like the heath in the desert, and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land, and not inhabited. So that pretty much tells me that if I put my trust in man, and I'm going to say this, you know, a, a lot of mature Christians today have a lot of fear. They're scared. They've told me that. They're troubled. So where is my hope this morning? You know, if it's in uh, something that the world can do for me, this text this morning, in the last verse that we read, said that my life trusting in humanity will be as a bush in the desert, as a parched place, as an uninhabited, salt-covered land. Let's read on. Verse 7. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters and that spreadeth out her roots by the river and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Now Paul comments on this when he wrote to the Colossians and he said, uh, in order for me to be able to do that, when the, when the times of drought come, I'm talking about uh, in our spiritual lives or in the setting that we're in, our circumstances, it will do well for me if I am rooted and built up in Jesus Christ. 
to be rooted and built up in him. The uh, writer of the psalm started out saying that too. Blessed is the man who don't walk in unrighteousness, but his, his hope and his delight is in the law of the Lord, and that's where he meditates all the time, day and night. So our only hope and the only power that we can plug into that will bring any kind of satisfaction and hope in our lives is that of Jesus Christ. You saw right up here on the board what a lively hope is. Let's just turn over there to 1 Peter for just a moment. I might be borrowing some of David's thoughts here today, but I want to turn over there to 1 Peter. He's addressing saints that are blood-bought, and he is encouraging them that the grace and the mercy and the peace of Jesus Christ would be multiplied in their lives. And then he says this, third verse, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope, Lively hope, not just living. I've seen some things living that just were barely living. They weren't very lively. This is a lively hope by the resurrection. Resurrection power, plugged into resurrection power of Jesus Christ from the dead. And, and this is what the, this power will give us, an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, never fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith and to salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. If you're plugged in there, it won't make any difference if electric goes off. Right. It's not gonna make any difference if the nation crashes. And, and that's going to happen one of these times. The Bible says it will. All be rolled together as a scroll. Time will be no more. But if you're plugged in to the power of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, the hope's all there. Never be fade away. Inheritance is real. That's where my hope's at. Uh, we're going to come to prayer. We're going to ask for prayer requests. And uh, Brother Jake, I'm going to ask you to lead us in prayer this morning. Prayer requests, praise reports. Yes. Okay. Okay. We'll. Yeah. What, what's your sister's name? Liberty, okay. Okay, she's, Liberty's going in and she would uh, desire our prayers in her behalf. Other requests? Yes. Okay, that, that prayer request is that the Bowser family would be relieved from the power of Satan's attack on their life with their children. And this is real. I think this is, this is a prayer that all of us need to have. Sometimes it's manifest in, in ways that are real to us, and sometimes it's more in a cunning and sly way, but that's real. Let's... Uh, Old Keith and Catherine and their family up in prayer. Brother Ryan.
Okay, we have a prayer request for uh, Ryan's brother, Lynn Flora, and uh, he has had some heart issues, and he must be having some other health issues now. Let's hold him before the throne. A lot of pain. A lot of pain. Brother Jake? Excuse me, Bart's got one. Yeah, praise the Lord for that. Two more. Yeah, pray a blessing on, on the new babies and new souls for the kingdom. Hallelujah for that. Brother Jake.
Good morning and welcome. I'm glad that you could come. I'm glad we could gather together today. And we just invite you to, if you haven't already, to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to spend some time there. We're going to go to some other things as well, but keep your finger there in that location. Our title this morning is A Lively Hope, taken out of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, where it, it says there, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again. We were born again unto a lively hope for a reason. And it's by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now that's a powerful statement. That, that's a source of power. That's a source of abundant energy that our lively hope is because Jesus Christ came into this world bodily and he suffered and he died for you and I and he rose again. And he demonstrated, he proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that there was nothing about death in this life that was going to overtake him and that he had power over all those things. And so our hope is alive and living and lively because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's our focus today. Our focus is, is on the, the living part, the, the eternal life theme that God has put throughout his Bible. We're going to go into some places, but th this is really the theme that this world is a preparation for eternal life. And so our hope is lively. It's not nothing dead about it. Do you have a lively hope or are you following a dead hope? Our brother was in Jeremiah chapter 17 there, was giving a contrast between someone who is following a deadness and it's like a parched area, a totally desert area, and nothing can survive there. That's a dead hope. In contrast to someone who is planted like a tree next to the river of the power of resurrection of Jesus Christ and has put all of his roots into that, and he lives as a thriving tree in that, in that kind of imagery. So, in that theme of eternal life, there's a couple of times, there are several passages in John, because John just so many times tells us what Jesus was saying, what he was thinking, what he was explaining about his kingdom. And as he was talking to Nicodemus that night, and he simply said to Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting Life. That is the theme that drives the, everything that we read throughout the Bible, particularly when Jesus came into this world bodily, he came teaching and preaching and living out life, eternal life, that this world is a preparation for what is to come. And God, he did a marvelous job of creating this world, but he has things we cannot even begin to imagine. And we, we have a hope that is alive and living as we look forward to that time. Turn, if you will, to John chapter 6. Hold your place there in 1 Peter, but turn to John chapter 6. I'm going to look at a couple little passages here. John chapter 6, as this opens up, there is the uh, account of the feeding of the 5,000. But at the, at the end of the chapter, a little farther along there, you pick it up in verse 33, and he's talking to, to Martha there, talking to the disciples in this situation. In verse 33, For the bread of God is he which cometh down from, the he from heaven and giveth life unto the world. And so they were having this discussion, and he was explaining to them that the manna that Moses had was not really the bread of God. The bread of God is a he, which is Jesus Christ himself. And he came from heaven. He gives life unto the world. They said unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believed not. And the Father giveth me shall come to, and all, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And he's going to make two statements about the will of God now. Verse 39, and this is the Father's will, which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, should lose nothing, but shall raise it up again at the last day. That's the resurrection of us. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. <clears throat> Jesus cried. He did not mince any words of this. He made it very clear. He came <laughs> to become the perfect sacrifice for us, 
that we might have eternal life. Because this is not the end of life. This is just the beginning, just the preliminaries. This is just the, the, the opening chapter. And God has something much greater. And he's had that in his heart from the very beginning, from the foundation of the world. And before that, that there was going to be a period called the world, and then that's going to be brought to an end, and then there's eternal life. This is Jesus' focus in so many places. And you have to wonder, at the beginning of this chapter, when that little boy brought his lunch up to the disciples, and the disciples didn't know what they were, how they were going to feed these 5,000 5, men and all everybody else that was with them, and Jesus says, go feed them. And they find this little boy, and he's got five little barley loaves and a couple of fish, and he offers it to them. And Jesus looks up to the Father, and he prays, and he blesses that, and they feed over 5,000 people that day. What do you think that little boy thought that day? But more especially, what did he think on the day that he heard that Jesus Christ, three days later, arose from the dead and is alive today? That's a lively hope. That's a light. He had a complete understanding that Jesus did something that nobody else could ever do something like that. He has power over the material things of this world. And he also had power over death. That was a lively hope that, that was cemented in that little boy's heart and maybe everybody that was on that hill that day and were fed in such a miraculous way. <clears throat> but also, John chapter 11. Jesus is also talking there to Martha now at the time when Lazarus was going to be raised from the dead. In chapter 11, he's speaking there, and he says in verse 23, in a couple of verses there, Jesus saith unto her, Martha, thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And in a few minutes later, he raised Lazarus from the dead. And he'd been dead for several days. See, Jesus wanted to demonstrate through the Lazarus, before he went to the cross, he wanted to show them, this is, the, this is what and who I am. I'm life. I am the resurrection and the life. And I have power over all of these things that, we, that you all are living in, and there is nothing that can overpower Jesus. And he demonstrated through that raising of Lazarus that day. And a few days later, he also went to the cross and demonstrated that even more thoroughly. Now, let's go back to 1 Peter and look at this passage just real briefly here. 1 Peter chapter 1, picking it up there in verse 3 again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled. You know, something that is incorruptible is almost unfathomable to us because everything practically in this world is corruptible. That's just the nature of this world. The nature of a world that's been warped by sin, it was perfect at the beginning, but it was warped by sin, and so things get corrupted. But he's saying here, we have a hope, we have a lively hope that we're going to have an inheritance that cannot be corrupted in any way. It is incorruptible, and it's undefiled, and it does not fade away in any way, and it's, it's on reservation in heaven for you and I. Wow, what a hope. What, what a picture he starts to unfold there to us. And this is not only, it's, it's un, incorruptible and undefiled, and doesn't fade, and it's on res, reservation in heaven for you, but you, you also, you personally are kept Meaning he's holding you, he is keeping you, he is wrapping you up in his arms and his power. Kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season. And he goes, talks about temptations and so forth. And that's the, There's a lot of great things in these next few verses here. But he gets down here, <clears throat> verse 9 I think is a key verse also. It says, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. What is the end of your faith? What's the end result? What, what, what's the projection? What's the goal? Well, the goal is eternal life in, with Jesus Christ. I mean, that's, that's going to be the end, of our, the end of your faith, the end of your hope, the end of this lively hope 
is the salvation of your souls, and the salvation of your souls mean you are living in eternal life. Wow, what a hope. Peter has been throwing out there to us and helping us to, to understand these things. Now, let's skip down just a little bit to verse 18, 19, and 20 here. <clears throat> For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but you were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. And there he is talking about how that before the foundation of the, before God created the world, in his planning, in his thought, he had already planned that Jesus Christ was going to come in the flesh, have a body, be visible, live as a man, and he was going to suffer, and he was going to die, and he was going to rise again. And all of that was planned. It even tells us in Revelation chapter 13, I think it talks about that Jesus appeared there as a, as a lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. So that same thought is there in Revelation as well, that these things, the whole plan of, of, of God paying that price for our sins, and if we would believe that, then he is offering us the end result which is salvation, which is eternal life. That's the picture that, that he's got here. <clears throat> and that Jesus was going to be, he was manifested in these last times for you, and that there were people maybe he was even writing to that had seen, were eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ. He was bodily manifested right to them. They touched him, they talked to him, they had meals with him, they walked with him. Now you and I don't have that experience. And he talks about that here, about those who, who, who still believe in him if they haven't seen him. And that's you and I. But we have a lively hope because Jesus is exactly who he is and he did exactly what he said he was going to do and the end result is going to be salvation and eternal life. <clears throat> so, with all that description, do you have a lively hope or are you following a dead hope of some kind? Are you kind of getting bored with Christianity? I mean, you, sometimes you think about, I don't know if I want to go to church today. Maybe we'll just go to the park and have a picnic. We almost went to the park this morning to have church service, but maybe I just want to go boating or something or do something else. You know, I just, I just get tired of church, get tired of reading the Bible and praying and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know if it, it means, if it means anything. I mean, this life is getting really bad. Is that, your, is that your hope? Is that your, the deadness that you're living in? Or are you living in a lively hope? Well, I'm afraid that there's a lot of people that are following a, a dead hope. <clears throat> now, I came across something the other day. <clears throat> and let me show you a picture of it here. Maybe. Sorry, about to get this. There we go. Okay. Can any of you see what this thing is? Maybe a little difficult for you to see. I have it right here. <clears throat> As you know, I'm always digging around in the dirt. Sometimes I find things. I talked about that a while back. This is a compass. I found this in a fence row. I was cleaning out and doing a bunch of brushwork along the road there next to our woods. And I found this compass. I thought, wow, that's interesting. It's a compass. So I laid it in the truck and we went on cutting brush. Came back to it a couple days later and started looking at it real closely, and I realized, oh, there's a brand name on the back. It says Taylor, and on the back it also says Rochester, New York, USA. And so I looked that up. You know, Google's kind of fun for those kind of things. And, and I found this, these sites that were talking about all these different compasses and so forth, and it got down to the, bot, to the bottom the end of that, and here was a picture of a soldier from World War II, and it started talking about the 82nd Airborne, and said that these compasses were paratrooper wrist compasses only made during World War II, only issued to the paratroopers of the 82nd Airborne. And the light started going off in my mind because my father served in the 82nd Airborne. This, this struck me <laughs> that how few of these there really are made in World War II, and there are thousands of them, yes, 
My father was a radio operator on a, on a plane that carried troops like into D-Day and dropped them into enemy zones and tried to make it back to England. And he may have had one of these, and somehow I picked this up in the woods. This thing is dry, though. You know how, uh, have you ever used a compass? It has liquid in there, and the, the, little, uh, the little line is, is uh, responding to the magnetic north of the earth, and so it moves around and points to the north all the time. And it has all the north, south, east, and west, and all the, the numbers are identified here for directions and, and all of that, but it's dry. And so it doesn't work anymore. It's all rusty and corroded, and, but you can, you can tell what it is. <clears throat> but I, if I found myself lost in the woods or dropped out of an airplane in an in, enemy zone and I'm not sure where I am and which way I'm supposed to go, if I pull this thing out, this isn't going to give me much direction, is it? <laughs> this is a dead hope. Don't have any direction, no sense of navigation. This isn't going to help you at all. But there's a lot of people in the world that are following compasses that are dead. Let's think about that a little further as we move along here. <clears throat> in that, if you're still in 1 Peter, verse 23, 1 Peter 1, 23, it says this. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. See, we aren't, we aren't using a dead compass. We have a lively hope. In a, in a real God, in Jesus Christ, who is still living and is still promising everlasting life. We have a direction in life. We can find direction in life. But unfortunately, there's a lot of people who are going down some very dead zones. Okay? You know, there's, um, there's a subject, and you may have come across this if you were well, in, in uh, school and so forth, in your biology classes and so forth, and they talk about the, the phrase, the germ of life. And scientists are still wrestling with this thought. What is it that makes something <clears throat> that's a bunch of dead chemicals and a bunch of chemicals over here that are basically the same chemicals, but now they're alive. They're living things. They're creatures, they're plants, they're animals. But they know from analyzing that, this is a set of chemicals here is not alive, but this set of chemicals over here is alive. And they can't figure that one out. That has been driving science for a lot of years, trying to figure out what is the germ of life. You know, Jesus, or the Bible tells us that at the time of creation, and you can probably quote this, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it's so important that we understand what the book of Genesis is explaining to us as it starts to lay out the days of creation and so forth. But it says that in the beginning, that's time, he created the heavens, that's the space, and the earth, that's the matter. So you have the time was started, the space was created, and matter was put in the space. That's the created world right there. That's what, they, what God did for us. This very similar thing is John chapter 1 opens up. It talks about the word of God. The word of God was there when everything was created. Nothing was created that was created without the word of God. And the word of God is Jesus Christ. And it says later in the, down there a little bit farther that the word of God was Jesus and he became flesh. Jesus Christ, the one who created the world, who created time, who created the space and put the matter in it, stepped into that same space, matter, and time to be a man for you and I. So Jesus Christ was stepping in to that thing that we call living matter. It became a, a human Scientists are increasingly able to dissect it, electron microscope it. They're able to, uh, to centrifuge it. They're able to analyze it. Then they can take things apart and they say, okay, now here's, at the end result, we have a long list. We have all the weights. We have all the percentages. We know exactly what is in that thing. 
And scientists are very able to do that. But what they can't figure out is, is what is it that makes that long list of things alive? There's the stumbling point right there. <clears throat> Lots of times, maybe you've read about these experiments where they've taken all the things that they consider the building blocks of life and they put them in a condition and they give it whatever type of energy they think they need for that, give it some heat, give it some light, give it some electrical impulses or whatever it is, and they can put it there for years and nothing becomes alive. Scientists are so many scientists. Now, fortunately, there's a lot of creation scientists that are going other directions with their thinking, but there's a, there still remains a lot of scientists that believe that they are convinced that what God told us in the beginning does not relate to the world we live in. And that surely life came on its own and that no God injected life into the chemicals, into the matter. And so they're running down that dead compass. That set, they're taking their direction and all their money and all their efforts going into those kinds of experiences, try, experiments, trying to figure all that out because they just know that the germ of life had to be a natural phenomenon. It wasn't something where God was intervening, but that, that's exactly what it is. When God intervenes, <clears throat> that's when he brought life. Let's go to this passage here. <clears throat> you don't have to turn to this. Genesis chapter 2, 7, and it tells us here, when the Godhead decided to make man and woman. They'd already created living plants, living creatures, but when it came to man, it became a special thing. And the God had said, let's make man in our image and in our likeness. And it says here in chapter, verse 7, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. That's God intervening. God intervening in man in a very special creation, picked up <coughs> matters out of the dust and formed it into his body, and he breathed into him the breath of life. That's God intervening and putting that germ of life into man, creating him also as a living soul. But there are so many people that are convinced that that is a lie right there. They don't have a lively hope. They're following a dead hope. Let's just review for just a little bit. Uh, in the United States, we have what we call NASA, okay? And I want to just review a little bit what NASA has been doing since the 1960s to give you some idea about the dead compass that they're going down. Because they are so convinced that there is life in other places, that the earth is not unique since the 1960s. First, it was a, it was a program called SETI, S-E-T-I, which is a search for extraterrestrial intelligence. And for 30-some years, the federal government funded this up until 1993. And they were paying scientists to sit somewhere and listen to radio sounds and, and communications coming from outer space, trying to find out was there any sort of meaningful information in those sounds that they could say was coming as a communication to them. But so for 30 some years, the federal government, which is our taxpayer money, was funding these people to sit in dark rooms and listen to these things. That's SETI. But the, NASA went on though. <clears throat> In the 1970s, you had the Viking 1 and 2 program, which was an orbiter and lander to Mars. And there was no clear evidence of living microorganisms on Mars. Now, as I was reading through, this was a, a NASA site. And I'm going to quote here what they were saying about the purposes of these programs. And they were concluding that from that first one, they had no clear evidence of living microorganisms. That's what they went there for. They went all the way to Mars just to see, is there any living microorganisms there, like one-celled creatures? They had the Galileo to Jupiter, went on for eight years. They were searching, this is quoting, searching for habitable environments in Jupiter. 
Cassini went to Saturn for 10 years, and evident, they were looking for evidence of liquid hydrocarbons, salt water, and organic chemicals. And they, they claimed to have found some of those things. Well, that starts to sound like, well, there could be life there then. What was it? Organic chemicals, <clears throat> salt water, hydrocarbons. Aren't those the building blocks of life? Part of it, yes. So they got pretty excited about that one. They had the Spirit and the Opportunity program to Mars. These were exploration rovers. The first mission, this is a quote, the first mission to prove liquid water, a key ingredient for life, had once flowed across the surface of the Mars and may once have been suitable for life. That was their purpose. Declared purpose. They are so set on their dead hope that there has to be some other place that's just as habitable as Earth. And that life could have formed somewhere else. And it was a natural phenomenon. And it was God, not God intervening. Because they don't want to believe anything like this that we see. <clears throat> you have the, uh, the Kepler uh, Space Telescope that was there up in the sky for nine years. And they were searching. What were they searching for? Earth-sized planets, which could be promising places for life. You had the Spitzer Space Telescope, which was infrared. It claims to have seen organic molecules that may hold the secret to life on other planets. This list continues to go on. You have the Hubble Telescope that you may have heard of. And it's still in operation. And Hubble had provided, it, it provided invaluable insight into life's potential in the solar system and beyond. It never changes. They're always looking for the possibility of life in, throughout the solar system. You had the MAVEN program, which was what they called an atmospheric sniffing mission to Mars. They'd go up there and they were sniffing for some sense in their... I'm not sure what they mean by that. Was it a robotic dog or whatever? But there was a, they were looking, trying to smell the effects of a living atmosphere. The Mars Odyssey operated for 20 years on Mars. Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, the Curiosity Mars Rover, searching for evidence that, quote, Mars had ever had environments capable of supporting microbial life. NASA claims that Curiosity provided evidence that freshwater lakes persisted for millions of years and contained all of the key elements necessary to life, demonstrating that Mars was once inhabitable. More recently, the James Webb Space Telescope launched in 2021, just last year, intended to locate Earth-like planets whose atmospheres have the building blocks of life. And you may have saw that in the news just a few days ago, where they were releasing the, the photographs, even on Times Square, in huge screens with great fanfare. It was all over the news that they were releasing the photographs of this little tiny picture out through space, multiple billions of years, light years away. And it was incredible to see. But their whole point is they're going down that same dead hope that surely God is a liar, God is a fraud. He never created anything. He never put the germ of life into anybody or anything. Surely there's another answer. And it doesn't matter how much taxpayer money they spend and how many years they do it. You're not going to find that. Because God is truth. And God has given us a lively hope. And Jesus proved it when he resurrected from the dead that he created these things. He has power over these things. And there is a life to come. And your time on earth is, is to whether you will decide to believe it. <clears throat> now, we had just referenced to you First uh, Peter 1, 3 again, born, we were born again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And the end of our faith is salvation, eternal life. But turn, if you're still there, into chapter 2. There's some very peculiar language here. We're going to draw this to a close very, very quickly. <clears throat> First Peter chapter 2, we're going to skip down to verse 4. To whom coming, and we're talking about the Lord here, coming to the Lord, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed of men, but chosen of God and precious. 
So he's talking about Jesus Christ, that we are coming to Jesus Christ. He is a living stone. He was disallowed, meaning he was rejected of men, but he is chosen of God and he is precious. But it goes on, verse 5. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded or, or, or ashamed, is what that means. So the one who believes on Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone of all of the kingdom of heaven, belief in him, you will not be ashamed. Because you have a lively hope in eternal life. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And so you have that contrast of those who reject Jesus Christ. He is the headstone. He is the chief cornerstone. He is the pinnacle of everything, of the kingdom. And then when you reject him, you've rejected everything, and you will face eternal death. But Jesus is and still is. It doesn't matter how many people reject him or go off in some other direction. He is still the chief cornerstone. And ye are a chosen generation. It goes on and begins to, <clears throat> I'm sorry, verse 8 I wanted to catch there. And a stone of stumbling. So Jesus becomes a stone of stumbling to those who reject him. And he becomes a rock of offense to those that are rejecting him. This is the peculiar language I'm, I'm curious about because it describes Jesus Christ as a living stone. And that you and I are also lively stones and that we're being built together in a spiritual house. And you could, you could talk about that. It's a, it's a metaphor. It's a, it's a word picture. And we could understand it in a, in a theological way. It's a description of the kingdom of God. And, and we become... Uh, it, we become uh, intricate pieces of God's plan and his kingdom and we're building built up in this spiritual house and, and that's a that's a great word picture but I was so I got so intrigued with this language of saying Jesus Christ is a living stone I want to share a few more things and you may think this is going off the wall here okay but stay with me. If, if you need to leave, you just go ahead. A few more minutes. We're going to talk about some science. I love science, okay? So let's, let's go to just a little bit more here. <clears throat> now, don't roll your eyes completely here, okay? Now, remember when I, we just read there that Jesus Christ, or God, when he, they were forming man, they, they took the dust of the ground, they formed man, and they breathed into man the breath of life. What is in the dust? What's in the dirt? If you begin to analyze dirt, you have quartz, you have feldspar, you have mica, you have silts, and you have clay, and you have sand. And all those things are primarily crystals. And the biggest quantity of the crystals that are in the dirt are quartz crystals. And you see here a picture of a quartz crystal up close. And you'll, you'll notice that it has these angles and it comes to points and so forth. Why? Because you go to the other picture of the, the molecular structure here, you see at the top of there, two molecules of quartz, which is actually a silicon oxide, okay? SiO4 is how that, that is described. You get down to the molecular level, the white one in the middle is the silicon. The reds, four reds are oxygen. And when they start binding together, they share an oxygen. And those binds are extremely strong. And those angles, this is called a tetrahedron. And you see that tetrahedron configuration showing up in the crystal because of the molecular structure. And so when God reached down and was grabbing the dirt, he was picking up the feldspar and the mica and the quartz. And, and, the, and there's other things there as well. You know, 50% of, of soil is water and air. So there you have H2O and you've got nitrogen. <clears throat> Some of these basic chemicals 
were all in that soil that God was picking up and in a special creation, and he put life into that for you and I. But he was handling the material, the matter that he had created and gave it life. So that's the basic uh, things that show up in the soil, which also means it's in the rocks. There's a lot of minerals and crystals in the rocks uh, throughout the earth, and all the matter that is here is all part of God's original creation. But let's get more specific here. Now, you may recognize this as the periodic table of elements. There's 118 of these. There's 118 individual things that God created in the matter that he put inside the space when time started. And we only know of 118. We think there might be more, but that's all conjecture. But what's interesting in this diagram is all of the items that are in colors, and there's 60 of them. 60 out of 118 elements found throughout the world that God created, 60 of those elements are in the human body. And they're all listed right there. When God picked up the dirt and he formed man, he was picking up the same matter that he had in all the rocks and all the trees and all the plants and all the other animals. He took the same kind of a matter and breathed his life into it. So there's approximately, now most of these are so fractional they're almost hard to measure because there's really only four of these that make up 96% of the human body. And this helps to diagram that. I hope you can see this just a little bit. At the bottom here, up to the hips, it says 65%. Are you able to read that? And it says oxygen. 65% of your body is oxygen. And if you go up above the gray to the blue part, it says hydrogen at about 9.5 or 10%, depending on what chart you're looking at. So you put 10% plus 65%, 75% of your body is found as water. These four chemicals, oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, 96% of your body is made up of those four things that God picked up and put it together. Now there's also 60 total because in that 3.5% there at the top, you have a lot of trace things, just fractional amounts of all these other 60 things that God put there. <clears throat> but you know what's interesting, fascinating to me is that when Jesus Christ was born into this world as a baby, just like you and I, he was made flesh, he became a man, became a child, he became a man, <clears throat> and he took on the very elements that he had created. And he has built into the created world a picture of who he is in this sense that only God is able to take non-living things, the dust of the ground, and to make it alive. This is why we have a lively hope. Because then he died for you and I. And he let, that, he let himself be... Uh, crucified and he died and he was in the grave for three days and he walked out because <laughs> he said this world the earth that we walk on is a word picture it is a testimony it is a demonstration that God is able to create and he's able to take those things and to make some of them alive and some of them non-living and it's all in his creation. <clears throat> that is why it says we come to Jesus, who is a living stone. You and I are lively stones. We're made out of the same stuff that the stones are made out of, but we're alive. And so that is built into our system built into the earth, built into our life upon the earth, that God made us and he gives us life. And ultimately, he wants to give us eternal life if we'll believe it. Instead of going down the route of the dead compass and searching for life in every other possible place, 
He says, it's right here. I put it on the earth. I gave a life. Believe what I did. And the promise is for eternal life. What a lively hope. Let's have a song. from human sight. He tinted skies with heavenly hue and framed the world with his great might. There is a God, he is alive. In him we live and we survive. From dust our God, created man, he is our God, the great I am. There was a long, long time ago, a God whose voice the prophets heard. He is the God that we should know, who speaks from his inspired word. There is a God, he is alive, in him we live and we survive. From dust our God, created man, he is our God, the great I am. Pure is life from mortal mind, God holds the germ within his hand. Though men may search, they cannot find, for God alone does understand. There is a God, He is alive, in Him we live and we survive. From dust our God, created man, he is our God, the great I am. God, whose son upon a tree alive was willing there to give that he from sin might set men free or with him could live. There is a God, he is alive. In him we live and we survive. From dust our God, created man, he is our God, the great I am. <clears throat> Will you join us in prayer? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, our Lord, our God, we so are amazed by you, Father. We know that you are alive and that you are in charge and that you cover all things. Father, we know that you are protecting us, that you are able to shield us from the, from the darts of Satan. You're able to shield us from his demons. 
We pray for the Bowser family and their expression of, of desire for prayer for this, Father, that you are able to, to protect them and to infuse them with your love and with your hope that you are able to build in, in their hearts. Oh, Father, we thank you for this message today. Help us, Father, to realize that this life is a, is a temporary thing, but it's something that you made and that you made it perfect, you made it very good as you said at the beginning, but that your imagination has, has had a lot of time to put together an eternal life that we look forward to in, a, in an, a, an amazing way. Father, help us to be excited. Help us to, to be renewed in our enthusiasm that there will come a day that we'll leave this world and go on to something that's so much better. Oh, Father, we thank you for your promises. We thank you that your word is still with us, that we can read those details and we can meditate upon it and let the Holy Spirit enrich our understanding of these things so that the very words that you set upon the earth, Father, are teaching us of the kingdom and what is ahead. Father, we just thank you for your love that pervades and, and covers us in so many ways, and we most of all thank you for eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Let's have a chorus and we'll be dismissed.